When you hear the term librarian, do you think of a person who strictly works with books or of someone who is leading the charge for innovation? This week's guest, Alicia Ray, shares how she broke the mold of the traditional library space, amplified her voice, and made an impact well beyond her campus. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to get to chat with you tonight. Yes, and we just got a chance to meet at Teach Better 19, and it was so much fun to get to know you a little bit more. And I really enjoy having guests on the show with very different leadership titles because I think it provides our aspiring leaders with a different perspective. I think a lot of times folks think there's three positions, a teacher, a counselor, and an administrator. And I would love to hear about your leadership journey as a lead digital learning and media innovation facilitator. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, when I tell people what my title is, they kind of stop and say, so what exactly is it that you do? <laughs> I did the same thing. So, exactly. I love that. It's It actually opens so many doors because I get to define my position the way that I, I feel like it should be. So my position is actually twofold. Um, the digital learning piece is, is literally digital learning. I'm an instructional coach at a STEM magnet middle school in North Carolina. I work with 27 classroom teachers, two administrators, and then the the media innovation facilitator portion is really what a lot of people would just call a librarian. With with the title librarian, you get a lot of different different perceptions about what that position looks like. You get everything from the, you know, the the lady with the little glasses and the the beads hanging down the side, you know, (laughs) with the bun, and she's all like, shh you know, behind her desk. And then you have our, our more modern day librarians who are all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are a mile a minute. I get to work basically with teachers and students in my entire school. Um, so I have got the best of both worlds, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the lead portion, the first part of it, I'm actually not in charge of our other digital learning and media innovation facilitators by any means. We're We are colleagues across the board, but I was the first in our district. I was, I was the pilot for our district when we decided that we wanted to formally merge instructional coaching and our library media coordinators. So we're required to have either an instructional technology, um, instructional coaching licensure or a media coordinator licensure and I happen to hold both. Okay. I have masters in both degrees. So So on your campus are you actually doing instructional coaching as part of your job? I am. One one week a month I do um, library classes with students and we do research, digital citizenship, digital safety, etc. And then the other three weeks I am co planning, co teaching, co designing, observing and working with teachers in my in my little school and yeah. I love it. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. we did a revamp for our library and it sounds very much like kind of what your position is where it wasn't just a reading space, but there was also a lot of technology. So mm-hmm. have you guys started to create spaces like maker spaces and things like that to try and incorporate technology into your library space? Oh yes, definitely. I am fortunate enough to have, 
I have four different rooms off of my media center. And when I say my, my students know that means our. Mm -hmm. So if any of my students should at any point listen to this, you kids know that I'm talking about our media center. (laughs) 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 We are very particular about that. It's ours. So we have one room that is our makerspace and it is multicolored and it is so much fun. We have bright windows, a green screen wall, multiple robots, two 3D printers. We've got a lot going on in that space. All of our furniture in there is mobile so kids can move things around however they need. Then we have a separate room that used to be a book storage closet and it is now a virtual reality lab. We have an HTC Vive. We have this really cool futon set up in there and a big screen TV mounted on the wall so others can see what the person in the headset's seeing. So we've got that going on. Then I have my office, which is really just a big room with windows. Um, <laughs> that's I'm never in there. I'm not sure why we have it, but it's there. And then we have a large storage room where we store our one-to-one Chromebooks mm-hmm. um, during the summers when the kids come back. Uh, they bring them back and we're also BYOD. Sure. I also have a Minecraft and gaming lab. We have an esports team. Yeah. And then we have a Z Space lab in another room in our building. And those those devices are incredible. Oh my goodness gracious. The Z Space lab is really one of my favorite places to be. Okay. So for those who may not know some of the things mm-hmm. that you just said, <laughs> the. <laughs> Esports, yes, the esports part of it. I just heard this actually at the Teach Better 19 conference too. Mm -hmm. What is that program all about for students? Yeah, so esports is a collaborative and competitive effort with video gaming. Mm -hmm. So our students are currently playing, let's see, I'm not their coach, but they play League of Legends, I think it is. Okay. And they're playing Hearthstone and Super Mario Smash. Tell me if this is true, because the person I Mm -hmm. spoke to was talking to me about the technology used for that, but they also were talking about the fact that students are now getting scholarships at colleges yes, for they for are they sure are um, there are some colleges throughout the the U.S. that are actually giving full rides to students just like they were on an athletic scholarship wow. they are there on an esports scholarship okay. um, and my little my little state of North Carolina over here we actually have a few schools that are now offering pretty sizable scholarships mm-hmm. they I don't know that they're full rides yet but they're pretty sizable and. What's really cool about these teams is that they also have a focus on being active. Yep. So they they realize that video gaming, part of the stigma is that you're sitting and you're playing games all the time. And so they actually have the students, they get up and they exercise and, and make sure that they are being healthy and making good choices. And then the students are playing the, these games as a team. So a lot of times within esports, there's a team of, five or whatever that they they are playing together in some way against other teams from other schools or districts or colleges or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. So sure. it's really exciting. So with the, all the technology in your space, how are you getting students to create and not just consume on their devices? I love that you asked that question. I think it's so important to make sure that our kids, you know, when we hand them an iPad and we say, you know, go do something Mm -hmm. the first thing that they may do is go to youtube and watch something or they may go 
to an app and do something that's pre-created. And that really does them a disservice. I'd love to just give them an iPad and say, go create a video that shows me what you know. Mm -hmm. Go code something and show me mastery of the topic. So there's different things our kids are doing. We have several um, robots, of course, that they, they will code. We have Sphero and Dash and Dot and several others. So there's there's a lot of coding going on, um, 3D printing. Mm-hmm. We've really started, my students have started to really take off with the 3D printing, and that's been a lot of fun. Green screen videos, stop motion animation. I've got one young man who that's his favorite thing to do. He just wants to set up stop motion animation and then gets very upset if someone else comes into the makerspace and moves his little Lego guy, even just a second. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love seeing them go in and and create a product that shows what it is that they that they've mastered. I gotta tell you about one of my coolest, one of my favorite projects I've ever collaborated with a teacher on. And it, it will blow your mind. It really truly will. So an eighth grade teacher, she was teaching math one, one of our perks to our STEM magnet middle school is that our eighth graders can take four core high school courses in in a four block schedule. That's an entire semester of high school behind them, mm-hmm. which on the, the opposite end of that means a full semester of college before they even graduate from high school. Yeah. So that's a big deal in rural impoverished North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So this teacher had come to me and she said, Hey, I do this PBL and I have students uh, they're creating a, a roller coaster using exponential, quadratic, and linear functions. And they, really, it's kind of an introduction to piecewise functions, to be honest. But she says, you know, they've always made it and they've graphed it and they talk about what those are. But I want to do something with that. I want to I want to take it a step further. So I introduced her to Minecraft and said, look, let's go into Minecraft and let's build what they have. I mean, they've already got their blocks. And we can just put the railroads, the, you know, the, the rail carts, mm-hmm. and then put the mine cart on it. And then they can ride their coaster. She's like, okay. So the kids go in and they build it. And it's amazing. Well, then I realized through the help of my mentor, we have Vivecraft. And we have a HTC Vive. What could we do? So we ended up, we had to play with it a little bit to switch mm-hmm. it from Minecraft EDU into regular Minecraft. But... We put them into the headset. They went and sat in their minecart and actually rode their roller coaster oh, that wow. they had designed. That was one of those moments that I thought, this is it. This is what education <laughs> should be. I like this. <laughs> yeah, that is creating it at its fullest for sure. Absolutely. It was amazing. All right. So I want to pivot to your other position, which is the instructional coach, because you're a Swiss Ooh. army knife of all things. <laughs> <laughs> so when you began that role in mm-hmm. working with teachers, what was one of the more difficult leadership skills you had to develop? Oh my goodness. So I'm a talker. <laughs> I talk all the time. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I love to talk. And a lot of times it's about what my kids are doing and what my teachers are doing. And I just get so excited and passionate about it. I had to really work on listening. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle with that. Any teachers that I work with are sitting there going, yep, preach. Uh, (laughs) I know, I know it's something that I'm working on. Yeah, so listening was something I really struggled with at first and still do. But 
I had to become intentional about listening to understand, to comprehend what they were saying and not to try to figure out what I was going to say back to them. And it still is something that I, I have to be intentional about. It's not a habit yet. Relationships was not a problem, which is kind of ironic being that listening was something I need to work on, but relationship building, I'll get along with a wall. That's not a problem. As a coach, building relationships, I feel like is the most important. And one of the, the best ways to build a relationship in a way that is going to build a solid foundation. You know, it's not, it's not a fluff relationship. It, it allows you to really get to the core of what you're doing as quick as possible is through listening to understand Mm -hmm. listening really more for empathy. Even what, what can I take out of this conversation that allows me to get into their shoes? So I heard you talk about a mentor and if anyone has ever heard my podcast, I'm a huge believer in mentorship. And so I just wanted to know from your mentor, was there a piece of advice that was extremely impactful to your leadership journey? 100%. 100%. My mentor, Lucas Gillespie. Hello, Lucas. He is at Lucas Gillespie, G-I-L-L-I-S-P-I-E. He is absolutely amazing. He's actually was a self-selected mentor. Uh, <laughs> you know, those are the best when oh, they don't definitely. appoint it, you know, but you just gravitate toward one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lucas always told me, play the long game. And that has been so impactful. That was one. I, I got to give you two. I'm a pirate. I get to do these yes, things. Yes, you do. <laughs> I have to give two. Play the long game is certainly one. It reminds me every day. It's not about winning a battle. It's not even about a battle period. Mm-hmm. I'm not battling with any of my colleagues. It's about the war that we're trying to win as far as having students be educated. Right. All students, not just the ones that are easy to educate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. So play the long game. And then he also told me, attack the story, meaning we, I say we, I hope it's a we, I hope it's not just a me. We make up stories in our head in order to to give logical progression to the Mm -hmm. things that we see happen. (laughs) And I'm the world's worst for that. (laughs) If I see somebody in the hall and they turn around and walk off, I've already got a story in my head about how they're upset with me because of this, that, or the other, (laughs) where really they may have forgotten their pencil in their room and have to go get it, you know? So he's always been very adamant about having me attack the stories that are coming in my head and think, what if this is what I'm thinking? And what if this is true fact that I have observed? I have seen this person walk out of the room turn around and when they looked they looked up and saw me and then turned around and walked back into their room what are all the possibilities that could have made that happen Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten it has nothing to do with me so it's really allowed me to depersonalize um, some of the feedback that I get whether it's from students or teachers since I get to work with both and when I'm able to depersonalize that I'm able to better internalize it and move forward in the best possible version of myself. So what was one trial as a instructional coach, or maybe it was a failure you experienced that created the most growth? Wow, that's a great question. So, you know, I've got to tell you, I went into the role that I'm currently in and I love my job. 
I'm going to preface with that. Mm-hmm. I love my job. I went from being in an elementary school for 10 years and working with folks who, you know, when you go get an elementary education degree, you are educated on how to educate. Right. Right. When you go for a middle or high school education degree, you are typically in a subject area concentration. And because of that subject area concentration, there tends to be more of a love of, let's say, math rather than a love of teaching math. Right. See? Yep. So I went from elementary for 10 years into a STEM magnet middle school that truly functions more as a junior high as far as, you know, the middle school philosophy, the modern middle school philosophy. So that transition, everything about it was difficult. I didn't know anyone because, you know, PD days, they're elementary school people together and then there's middle and high together. So I didn't really know anyone. I also came in as in air quotes, the elementary teacher (laughs) that was going to bring in cute bulletin boards again in air quotes, you know? So there was that whole breaking of that stigma, which is where attack the story came in (laughs) (laughs) because I just immediately felt that they felt the worst about me and overcoming that and building those relationships. And I feel like validating myself as a leader gave me the confidence that I needed I, di- I didn't need their validation. I needed my own to say, look, I know I have been elementary. I've taught pre-K through fifth grade, and now I'm going to teach sixth through eighth grade, and I'm going to teach it to the best of my ability and not only teach the students, but I'm also going to coach the teachers to allow them to teach this middle school to the best of their ability. I think that just the transition itself, right. and it has made a huge impact because now I am more comfortable with taking risks that are completely out of my comfort zone. <laughs> All right. I know a big passion of yours is obviously literacy and mm-hmm. getting into the classroom and being an instructional coach. I'm just curious about your concepts or theories on kind of the lack of engagement that students are having with reading and writing. Yes. Oh, yes. So story time. <laughs> <laughs> my oldest daughter, she's 10, has always been ahead of the game. She's always been self-motivated. She enjoys reading. You know, she has 20 minutes of reading per night. She says, Mom, can I read an hour? Sure, you can. Yeah. But we had a moment a few years back where she was reading a book. We were doing a certain quiz-based program, and she was reading a book that was on her level. It was at the upper end, but it was on her level. It was time to go back and retake the monthly quiz to set her level and she was having a rough day and her level dropped a little bit now not an extraordinary amount not anything that would cause any concern but it did drop so she goes to take a quiz on this book that she has been reading for you know maybe six weeks a pretty impressive book Mm -hmm. and she is discouraged from taking that quiz And she came home that day and was so upset. You know, mom, I've been reading this book 
and now it's not on my level and I can't take the quiz. Hmm. What? You know, like, so my child is trying to go above and beyond and you're discouraging that. Right. And, and I think about that for our advanced students, our students that, you know, they're self-motivated, they're determined, they, you know, they excel. Yep. And what message does that send to them? And then let's flip it and do it on the other end. I've got a, uh, my youngest child is in first grade and she struggles academically Mm -hmm. very much. She's still, um, she went into school first grade, Fontas and Pinnell. If anyone's familiar with Fontas and Pinnell, she was at a a Fontas and Pinnell level B and it was a very gracious, very gracious of her teacher to give her a level B. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure she earned that. And she comes in and she automatically feels defeated because she can't read because her level B says that she can't read. She's already behind. So I get really frustrated with levels. I get very upset when I hear that there's a a library that's leveled. And I will say, I used to have a leveled library. I'm gonna put that out there. I did. You you know, Maya Angelou, she says, when you know better, do better. Mm -hmm. So I found better, I knew better, and so I did better. And I allow my students in, in our school to read anything they want in the media center. There are no levels of any kind. Um, And you know what, my friend, when they finish reading a book, they don't have to take a quiz on it. They don't have to do a book report. They don't have to sit down and have a lengthy conference with me or their teacher. We just, you know, hey, what'd you think about this book? Mm -hmm. You know, would you recommend it to somebody? Why would you recommend it to somebody? Did you connect with the characters? What about the characters did you connect with? What What would you like to read next? Was this something, you know, a scale of one to five? How do you feel like this book resonated with you? How much, how likely would you be to read it again? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's go find you a new book. And it's so funny because my youngest students look at me and they say, wait, that's it? Yes, sweetheart. Reading is your reward reading the fact that you read a book and you enjoyed it that's what we're going to do today i want you to read and enjoy reading and that's the only thing i want and i think that as a system in education we're so determined to have data and data comes from you know our numerical data is going to come from testing in some way or another we are so determined to get all this data test that we have killed our students love of reading donna miller backs me up on that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess i back her up you know uh travis crowder and todd nesloni yep they they back that up there are so many so much research out there that backs that up that it really boggles my mind how we are being as educators ignorant at times to the damage that we are actually doing. Yes. And then reading and writing, I've heard it said, if reading is breathing in, then writing is breathing out. And, you know, if we're breathing in reading and and we're not liking what we're breathing in, there's no way we're ever going to want to breathe out. There's no way the students are going to want to write. So we're creating this vicious cycle ourselves. Sure. And, you know, we hear all the time, well, well, kids just don't write the way they used to, or kids aren't reading the way they used to. Well, 
let's stop and take a minute and figure out why that's happening. Yeah, we weren't testing that that same way. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, if I've got an eighth grade student that wants to read a picture book, well, by golly, sweetheart, you go read that picture book to the best of your ability, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. If I've got a sixth grader that wants to read the complete works of William Shakespeare, I'll, all right. Right. I can't wait to hear how you feel about it, you yeah, know? For sure. Um, I just think that's really important. I'm so passionate about allowing my students the freedom and the flexibility to choose what they want to read and allow them to keep themselves accountable rather than us making them accountable. Uh, my students set goals for themselves in reading and the goals are how many books can you read in a certain period of time. I don't care what the link to that book is. Um, that's on you. Yep. So if, if you want to read the complete works of William Shakespeare, I highly suggest that you probably just do one book for this time period. Sure. That one super amazing book um, where if, if you're going to be reading picture books, take that into consideration. Can you read 10 in X amount of time? Mm -hmm. So um, that's how we, that's how we roll with our air quote accountability and yeah. reading for me. Mm -hmm. So I love your position. It sounds wonderful as, as far as your impact on a campus. So I'm wondering as an instructional coach and then, of course, what you're doing in your media space, do you have an impact on professional learning on your campus? Yes, I do. I actually um, i am our digital learning leader, which is uh, what we're that's what we call our our leaders of the digital learning. We mm -hmm. it used to be like the train the trainer model, right? Yep. So now rather than a train the trainer model, we're actually going in and analyzing what we feel that is needed as well as what teachers want. Then based on the information that we get through the analysis, we will go in and design professional development based on digital learning. And I keep finding myself wondering when we're going to take this digital learning and just allow that to just be instructional. It's polarizing sometimes where you think, oh, well, I've got to have something digital in here. Well, it's right. just good instruction. Yeah. So when I do a digital learning professional development, it's not the tool. You know, I'm not, I'm not used, the tool is not what I'm instructing. Correct. I'm instructing a new way to teach content. Mm -hmm. And that is an instructional coach. Right. Uh, I get to do that. And then at our district level, being the lead, which again just meant that I was the pilot, I was able to lead quite a bit of professional development um, at our district level for administrators and other digital learning and media innovation facilitators. So I want to talk about the pilot. Yeah. Is that something that you had an idea and you brought it to the district? Or is that something that the district tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, you're crazy enough to do this possibly, <laughs> so yes. why don't you pilot this? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Um, I got a phone call from my superintendent over the summer, about four years ago, and he presented me with this job description and said, we're, we're interested in moving our libraries forward. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we want it to be, our libraries to be more of a set of services rather than just a space to hold books. Yeah. And we feel like you may be the person that can lead this role. Um, a lot of it was the fact that I had both master's degrees that they were looking for. Sure. You know, I had the the formal education, and then I'd also been working as a media coordinator in an elementary school. Had really already started, with the help of my principal, we had moved my schedule from a completely fixed schedule 
where I was in the specials rotation and, you know, I taught every grade level every day to be in a more flexible schedule where I was able to get out of the library and into classrooms. And I think that when they saw that, I think some of the districts said, you know, this is, this is what we want. This is the future. So let's, let's move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it happened. And it was so incredibly scary that it's, I can't imagine doing anything else right now. So I want to pivot to your relationship with the Dave Burgess Incorporated. Is it true that you've read every single one of his books? (laughs) Up until September, yes, (laughs) that would be true. Um, Actually, there are, let me think, I think they just released book 96. Yes. And I have read up to book 82. All right, so I got to ask, how, how did that begin? Okay, last summer, DBC released the 50th book, The Edgy Ninja Mindset by Jennifer Burtis. It was released in June of 2018. And there was this huge commotion on Twitter. And somehow, I I still don't know how, (laughs) somehow I ended up getting tagged in the initial tweet about Dave Burgess Consulting giving away their entire collection. They were going to give away all 50 books. Sure. And so my Twitter notifications blew up. That was the day that I turned all Twitter notifications off on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get a word. Like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even check what time it was without having a new ding come up. You know, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, I thought, man, 50 books, that's really cool. And then I started looking at what all the books were, and I thought, I have that one. I have that one. I have that one. I realized I had almost half of them. I had met Dave Burgess in April of that year, and he had really just lit a fire under me again and and got me excited about education. And Dave talks a lot about creative alchemy and how you've got this little problem and this little problem and this little problem, and then all of a sudden they merge together and you have this amazing solution. Mm -hmm. And I I was wanting to read my books that were sitting on a shelf. I was wanting a way to keep myself accountable. I love setting goals. So I wanted some accountability for that goal of reading these books. And then I also really wanted to improve professionally. And I kind of become stagnant because, you know, sometimes as leaders, especially if you're a thought leader, it's really difficult to get something new, you know? And I had done all this going to PD and then I found myself leading the PDs. And I wasn't getting anything out of it. I would get a great new idea from someone that was in the session. But as far as me just getting to drink from a fountain of someone else's geniusness, I wasn't getting that. And I needed that so bad. So that's when I decided to sit down and read all 50 books. And I blogged about them Mm -hmm. using the hashtag DBC50Summer. And I wanted to read all of the books. This was in June. I wanted to read them all before the first day of fall. So it was the summer season. Then, as if that's not crazy enough, <laughs> writing the blogs, I wanted, I wanted one actionable piece from each book that I could implement the next school year. So I read all 50, blogged about all 50, and all 50 had something that I was going to implement at my school personally in one of my media classes something was going to be implemented. So I have this fancy little spreadsheet that I created as I was going through. And then I get a a direct message from a sweet lady named Tara Martin. (laughs) (laughs) She was just on the podcast. 
She is amazing, she right? She is amazing. I love Tara. And Tara says, hey, are you going to continue after DBC 50 Summer? Well, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about that. I kind of, yes, but I don't know that it would be formally, you know, she's like, well, my book is 51. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, well, okay, it looks like we're going to keep going. So I've continued doing that. It's now called DBC Book Blogs, and I read all the DBC books and then continue to blog um, kind of a review of sorts, Mm -hmm. Um, a few of the the pieces that I really internalized. And then I also implement something from each book. So I am actually at, um, let's see, the last one that I wrote was Team Makers by Evan and Laura Robb. Amazing book by two amazing educators. Um, Absolutely loved it. And then there was this crazy thing that happened. Uh, Educational eye exam came out. (laughs) And so since then, that was in September. Since then, I've been a little focused on on my own Dave Burgess Consulting book and and sharing that. And so the blogs have kind of taken a step back. And then, you know, I've also tried to give my family some time, do a little bit of work-life balance. And so... You know, I've stepped back off of it, but I'm not quitting. I'm continuing. Uh, Cannonball In by Tara Martin is actually the one that I am in the process of writing. I've actually written the blog two or three times, and I'm just not quite happy with it because that book is so incredible. Yes. I just don't feel like I could do it justice. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm still working on that one, and that will be the next one to come out. All right, so you talked about it, but I got to say you are the author of Educational Eye Exam, Creating Your Vision for Education, and I couldn't think of a better title for a leader. So for those who have not had the opportunity to read your book, will you just give our aspiring leaders a quick synopsis of the book? Absolutely. So the book, um, Educational Eye Exam, will take you through a standard visit to an optometrist and through each piece of your visit to the optometrist, your paperwork, your um, going to look at that big E, the eye chart. It's actually called a Snellen eye chart. You go look at that. Um, you know, you go and you have your eyes dilated. Mm-hmm. You uh, sit in that chair and they bring that big old tool of whatever kind it is and they get <laughs> right up in your face and check your, you know, all these different pieces. Um, I, I take you through each of those pieces and connect those back to what are your core beliefs in education. And it was funny because I actually went to my eye doctor last month, went back to go get my glasses. And uh, the guy who had sized my glasses said, Hey, I finished reading your book. I really didn't know how you were going to go about connecting optometry to education and philosophy. But then I read it and I was like, Oh my goodness, that was, he said, clever which was so kind of him. <laughs> but, um, you know, a short little, an example of how that happens. So you're, you're sitting there and your doctor, um, your optometrist is telling you that, you know, hey, you're farsighted. Well, what in the heck does being farsighted mean, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, so farsighted means that you see better at a distance than you do up close. Yep. So if you're reading or working on your computer, it's going to be a little blurrier than it would be if you were looking at a distance. How do we relate that to education? Standardized testing. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of 
a course, a year, a semester, whatever, you have some kind of standardized test. That's the way our education system is set up right now. There is something that the students are going to have to do. And that typically falls back. Whatever those results are falls back on the educator. So it's very easy to get focused on that. So are we going to be so far-sighted? Are we going to be thinking so far in the future about this standardized test that we forget or that our ver- our vision blurs at close range? Mm-hmm. Am I so focused on that exam in May or June that I'm not enjoying the moment with my students? If that's the case, then you're very far-sighted. However, just like in our vision, it's not very good to be nearsighted either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So if you are having so much fun and doing so many amazing things, but it doesn't connect to that curriculum that the students are actually going to, that they're responsible for knowing at the end of the year, we're doing a disservice that way too. There's, there's a curriculum for a reason. I'm not against a curriculum. I think that having a standard curriculum allows us to level the playing field. For all students, I'm looking at my rural North Carolina students, and yes, I want them to have a standardized curriculum so that they are right there on par with our suburban students who have parents making six, seven figures, right? right? I want them to be expected to learn the same thing. I want it standard, but we can't be so focused on that test that we lose sight of what we're doing day in and day out. And we can't be so focused on what we're doing day in and day out that we forget at the end of the year at the end of the semester, at the end of the course, that students are expected to show what they've learned based on this curriculum that's given. The trick is to figure out a way to be right in the middle. Have a great time. Make learning enjoyable, exciting, engaging. Um, empower your students to, to take charge of their learning while still keeping in mind that they need to really internalize it enough to be able to to apply that information months down the road. So that's an example. That's a chapter. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. For aspiring leaders that may not have a leadership position that they currently hold, what are some ways that they can make an immediate impact? I love it. So I would highly recommend, and I'm not sure, I, I can't quote the person. I wish I could, but I would very much recommend figuring out what your sphere of influence is. And I know that's a term that is used in one of the the fancy schmancy books that I have read at some point within my PD career, mm-hmm. <laughs> but figure out that sphere of influence. Yeah. Take control of the things that you can change and do that to the best of your ability. It's better to do one or two things brilliantly well than to do five or six things moderately well. So I would say for aspiring leaders, figure out what your core beliefs are. Take an educational eye exam. Figure out what it is that you feel so passionate about. What is it that you, at the very core of yourself, what do you believe? And how are you going to influence that within your own sphere of influence? Mm-hmm. Because everything outside of that influence, that, that sphere of influence, you may be able to network and connect to someone who can do something. But I feel like we really need to zero in and hone in on that area that we can do something about at the time. 
In closing, mm-hmm. how important is it for our aspiring leaders to go to DBC PirateCon this summer? <laughs> Insanely important. <laughs> if you do not go to DBC PirateCon, you're going to be missing out. This crew, and I, I can totally say crew because we're pirates. Yes. This crew is unreal. I was looking at the lineup just today, actually. And, you know, the people that they are going to have there, there are districts that blow an entire PD budget mm-hmm. <laughs> on one day yep. with some of these folks. And they are all going to be right there. And, I mean, you want to talk about a personalized experience? There are limited tickets. It's not like they're going to sell thousands upon thousands of tickets. Yep. You are not going to be one of 35,000 walking around. It is a limited number of tickets. And so if you're wanting your ticket, you had better go right now to DaveBurgessConsulting.com <laughs> and up along the top, go to DBC PirateCon, or I think it may actually just say PirateCon. Click on that and just go ahead and get your little <laughs> ticket <laughs> because I'm telling you what, I don't know how quickly they're going to sell out. I truly am shocked they're not sold out already. Yeah, they have to be close. Uh, They've got to be. They've got to be. There's no way they're not because this is going to be the conference. If I could pick one conference to go to in 2020, DBC PirateCon would easily be it. Yes. It doesn't matter what you want, whatever fountain you want to drink from, there's going to be somebody who has quite literally wrote the book (laughs) on that topic. And they will be presenting. And I'm just in awe of what Dave and Shelley Burgess are putting together and their team are putting together right now. And I'll tell you, I've had the opportunity to hear some of the the back stuff, you know, some little spoilers. (laughs) And it is going to be incredible. You do not want to miss this. By any means. No, oh not God. at all. And Alicia, no. you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. The Aspire yes. podcast will be there. So definitely Yay. get online and sign up as quickly as possible because me and Alicia cannot wait to yes. see you there. We can't wait. That's going to be amazing. Alicia, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Yeah. So on both Twitter and Instagram, I am at I L U V educating. I love educating. So connect with me on Twitter and Instagram there. You can also use the hashtag eduiexam, E-D-U-E-Y-E exam. Um, That's where we'll connect and chat about all things educational eye exam. And um, yeah, I'm super active on, especially Twitter, but super active on both and would love to connect. You follow me. If I see that you're an educator, I'm going to follow you back. So I can't wait to get connected. Well, it is always a pleasure and it is so much fun to talk with you. And it was so much fun also to meet you at Teach Better 19. And I cannot wait this summer to see you again at DBC PirateCon. I'm so excited. I can't wait. It, you know, Teach Better was phenomenal. I can just imagine that times, you know, a bazillion. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be PirateCon. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Well, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Since we're speaking of conferences, I'm so excited to announce that the Aspire Podcast is now an official sponsor of Todd Nesloni's Celebrate Your Story event. If you're in Texas, this is going to be the ultimate PD event. Make sure you sign up soon. I know that there's not many tickets left. You can find the link and more details for this event in the show notes. I cannot wait to speak on aspiring leadership and meet everyone in attendance.